Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Cancer, it's one of the biggest fears we all have because the cure seems as elusive as ever. Chemotherapy, radiation, these are treatments we all hear about, but do we really understand how they work? What types of cancer can be treated with radiation and what are some of the common side effects? Well, we're going to get some answers today. Dr. Donna Chung is in the studio. She's an oncologist specializing in radiation therapy, currently at Kuakini Medical Center, along with her assistant, Scott Lopez, radiation therapist, who's been there since the center opened up. Now, before we hear about radiation, we're going to be talking with both of them in just a few minutes. But we have Eric Pape in the studio. Now, he's He's one of the editors at Civil Beat, which is an online newspaper, and he's doing a series on the high cost of living in Hawaii, and specifically the connections that we can all make about the price of paradise and how this could affect you if you have a medical illness as well. Eric, welcome to the show. Hi, Dr. Kosai. Now, tell me a little bit about your inspiration for this series, because you've been doing a lot with cost of living in Hawaii, and then it sort of took a medical spin. So there's a couple of things. I've been working on a series around the cost of living for about a year and a half, actually. I was editing and have mostly been writing more recently. And uh, it was clear that the personal stories were really connecting with people and readers. And I, I was having a lot of interactions with people with a wide array of experiences that were really engaging and that were connecting. And um, it struck me that we should create a way for people to share their own stories, um, to create sort of a, a narrative argument a broad-based narrative argument about the different pressures and the human impact of the cost of living in Hawaii. Um, So we have created a new feature called uh, Connections, and it allows people to put their stories into, you can read other articles on Civil Beat, you can read Connections stories, uh, their personal narratives, personal stories, and then you can write your own. And the idea is that it inspires you to write your own and that yours can then inspire other people to write their own. Um, And the first one that that we ran uh, um, is the story of Cora Spearman, And it's a really powerful medical story of someone who who discovered she had, uh, in her late 20s, a very large tumor in her neck and in her jaw area. And um, she was a young entrepreneur. Things were going really well. And and she got this diagnosis that, you know, anyone could get. It it comes out of the blue. Um, I mean, you can talk about the medical side, but it's that that there but for the grace of God go I element of, boom, here's a big thing. How are you going to deal with this in life? How is it going to shake you up? So her story has a fair amount to do with the cost of living in Hawaii for a number of reasons that are laid out in the story. Um, But it's also a much broader human story because these sorts of uh, things, when they happen, they're in the context of the rest of your life. And the rest of her life is a very rich, complicated, fascinating place. Well, and it certainly sounds like, don't we all fear it? You know, how many times during the day do I see people who go, you know what, I feel this, I feel this lump in my neck, or I've been sick longer than I expect, and of course I'm worried about the worst-case scenario, and a lot of people define that as cancer because it's scary to all of us. And yet the other element that your story helps to bring out is how it's also not cheap to treat it, that even with the best of all medical insurance that you may think you have, there are gaps in that care, and there are things that can really make you go, you know, financially bankrupt treating yourself medically and saving your own life. Yeah, in the case of Cora, some people think that because she actually was doing quite well, she and her husband worked well, they were starting a business. Um, people think they didn't have insurance or didn't have good insurance. She actually had quite good insurance, as she points out. She's repeatedly pointed out. And yet, 
it still eventually drove them into bankruptcy. She had a rare cancer, were on an island of 1.4, in a state of 1.4 million people with limited uh, medical care. Again, you can address this better than me. Um, But so if you have a rare condition that is not common to the islands, you have to go somewhere else. And so she was bouncing back and forth between here and the mainland. And that brings up a whole bunch of costs that are not included in the insurance. There was travel, there's places to stay. Um, At different times, they were paying a rent here because her husband had to stay here and keep working. They were separated. There's all of these complex different pressures that come up. Um, I, I mean, it's a, it's a very, very powerful story, and it brings up a lot of those issues. And I hope that it, bring, it inspires other people to tell their own stories about the, 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 the intersection of the cost of living and their medical experiences here, because it's not a straightforward thing. If I have good insurance, everything's fine. There's, there's these peripheral effects that I think people don't always think about. Absolutely. Even some of the neighbor island folks who have to come to Oahu for treatment, they realize that they may have to pay for accommodation, somewhere to stay. If they want to have family come stay with them, that's another cost. And in Cora's situation, you know, you mentioned going to the mainland. When you have a rare illness and you live in a community that has a lot of great medical expertise, but maybe not with your rare condition. You want to go to the MD Andersons, to the John Hopkins, to the Mayo Clinics, to the places that see a lot more of those conditions than we might here in the islands. So of course you want to go, but boy, your story really highlights the difficulty of what do you do when that leads you down a financial road to ruin? I mean, how can this happen to your average everyday person? What other kinds of stories do you have on the docket, what else is going to be coming up in connection soon? So, Let's give people a little taste of what they could read if they went to go to the site. So there's another another story that is actually going to be published uh, in, in the coming days is a response to Cora's story. It's someone who read that story and said, I want to tell mine, um, a man who had a stroke and he had fantastic, impeccable insurance, that, and it could be treated here, and he, he feels so lucky. He could have said, you know, he could have had a lack of empathy and said, you know, you should have had even better insurance, and I had better insurance, and look, I'm, I'm doing better. His attitude is not at all like that. His attitude is, uh, due to a strain, I was, happened to be looking through my medical information, and I noticed some things, and by chance, I updated my insurance and got a slightly better insurance. And soon after, he got a stroke. So he knows that if he had the stroke a month earlier, he could have been in a very similar situation. And so he was reading her story, trying to find the ways to help other people avoid it in a constructive way. So that's an interesting thing. It's about the cost of living, but it's about avoiding the problems. We have another story that's on the site now. Um, It's called uh, A More Affordable Paradise. Uh, And that story is about a man who grew up here on Oahu. in the 1950s, he's lived here his whole life, and, and last year he decided to move away. He thinks that the cost of living is, is really undermining the quality of life uh, on this island and in the islands in general, and he thinks that it puts too much pressure on people, and he left. And he found his more affordable paradise for the longest time. He wouldn't tell me where it was. We had these email exchanges. It was, it was kind of cheeky. He was bragging about the price of prawns, the size of kahuku prawns. I, and the prices were so cheap, and he's giving me these little hints about different things. A bag of sixty-pound bag of oranges is about five bucks. Could you guess? Could you figure out where so, it was? So I was narrowing it down, and it was cl- quickly clear it was Latin America. And he was talking about U.S. influence right? historically there. He said they used the dollar. So once he said they used the dollar, there were only two or three countries it could be, and and it turned out to be actually I I won't tell you your viewers, but it's in Central America. 
So here he is living in this place where it mimics sort of the tropical climate of where we are. And yet, how many people do we know that say, oh, I have two jobs or three jobs just so that I can afford to live here, or I live with my auntie or my grandma or my parents? And in this scenario, here was somebody who, approaching retirement, decided, hey, I've got to go somewhere where my dollar goes a little bit further. So he found a place, and, he's, and there are photos in the article, and the photos look very, very much like they're in the islands here. Um, he has a beachfront place that he could never afford here. It would cost okay, millions. I could not afford a beachfront here. Um, I'm his, with him. Okay. His beachfront place, if I'm remembering the numbers, I think it was $235,000 for his home. He sent pictures. Um, he has a, a country home that he got for a small amount more. So he could have gotten by here. He wasn't struggling, but he wanted the magic of his youth. He wanted a place where everything wasn't about money and people working so hard without the stress. And he really looked into it. He had traveled quite a bit. He looked into... Um, especially things like, because he's retirement age, um, uh, the medical care that he could get. And he said his medical coverage is one-third the cost of what it was here. Um, He has very easy access, and and it's a country where there is some very good medical care because there's a a substantial international business presence that really, I think, takes it up a notch. But in in the region, there's another country or two that have very good health insurance as well. Um, So we're not going to say where because, I mean, you know, I know, but I'm not going to say it. But if people want to read more about these stories, if they want to hear a little bit more about what are these connections, they want to participate, maybe even write their own story, how can they do that? So when you read any of these stories in Connections, which is a feature on the Civil Beat website, um, in the top right-hand corner, there is a little red pen. There's There's a red circle with a pen in it. You can click on that and write your story right in there. You can include photographs. You put your email address. You write a one-sentence description of who you are. Um, I will be contacting you to make sure about the details or to verify things or as part of the editing process. Um, If you're not comfortable doing that, you can just write me an email. Uh, uh, My name's Eric Pape, and my email address is epape at civilbeat.com. It's at the bottom of all of the articles and connections. Um, And we hope, especially around the the medical-related stories, but in relation to all of the stories, that people will read them and say, hey, that story connects with me. I want to tell my story because I think my story can inspire other people or it can add to this general argument about the human toll, the human uh, impact of the cost of living in the islands because it is a big thing. And even for this show, it has medical implications. Sure. One of the things that you mentioned about the secret location that the guy moved to is that you know, the people were in general less stressed. They weren't having that same level of anxiety about generating enough income to pay the bills, to afford where they live, to be stuck in traffic. There's a lot of elements to this that we struggle with here in the islands that I think sometimes people don't realize how that can take a toll on your health yeah. and a significant one. Absolutely. I, I think that the most interesting thing about his story is that for him, he has found the Hawaii that he grew up in. It's the Hawaii, the Hawaii that he thinks about. And it's the Hawaii that he couldn't find here anymore. So it, it's, a, it's a touching story. Well, and on that note, people have got to go take a look at it. And you said it's going to be coming in the next couple of days. That's civilbeat.com. That's a great website, some fantastic journalism that's done. A lot of it's spearheaded by you really looking at the cost of living here in the islands, not just from one aspect, but, you know, you've done stories on housing and trying to find smaller micro units. And you've done stories looking at people even in politics who have had struggles with finances and now looking at the medical aspects of it. So thank you for bringing about connections so that we can all have 
have a voice and hear from one another in a forum where we can exchange ideas and maybe maybe give people some good ways to prevent troubles happening for them, like the insurance that you mentioned. When was the last time I reviewed my policy? I can't remember, but boy, that's something I'm going to go home and do, knowing that you never know what could happen and when that could occur. So thanks so much, Eric, for being on with us today. It's my pleasure. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Donna Chung and Scott Lopes about what's going on in radiation and oncology and what's the latest in the treatment of cancer with radiation. And how is this something that has changed in the last couple of years to become a lot more precise and become another another weapon in the arsenal against cancer? Now, as always, you can join our show at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. I'm Fran Butera from Foodscapes Hawaii. I've been an underwriter for five years and it's been a great relationship. It really does connect me with the kind of people I want to have as clients. By underwriting the programming, I get to connect with your great audience and support the station at the same time. I can't think of a more win-win situation. Hawaii Public Radio, celebrating partnership, building community. On the next Humankind, we hear from John Bogle, founder of Vanguard. He's one of the world's most successful investors and at the same time a fierce critic of big business. Also, former New York Times reporter Chris Hedges discusses how our media culture can make it hard for people to distinguish between reality and fantasy. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, right after Marketplace. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Hawaii Supply. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. And today we first, we just heard from Eric Pape talking about Civil Beat and how they're doing some wonderful things making connections for people who have had serious medical illness and how that affects them financially and also medically. And one of the things that they were mentioning is how cancer can really take its toll. Now, cancer is something that we treat in a variety of different methods, but one of the things that we do is we treat people with radiation. And it seems somewhat contradictory. Radiation can cause cancer in certain situations. Look at Chernobyl, look at other sorts of events where we've had people exposed to things they shouldn't be. But on the other hand, targeted radiation can actually be a way to treat cancer, and not just one cancer, but a variety of different types of cancers. So today we're here in the studio with Dr. Donna Chung, and she is an oncologist specializing in radiation therapy, currently at Kuakini Medical Center, along with her therapist, Scott Lopez, who's been there since the beginning, 1988, I think it was. And we're going to be talking today about radiation. Now, if you or anyone you love has ever experienced radiation, has had treatments for it, or who has some ideas on what some of the side effects were that kind of surprised them, hey, we're here. We'd love to hear from you at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Dr. Chung, Scott, welcome to The Body Show. Aloha. Thank you, Kathy. Now, tell me a little bit. Let's go over the basics. What is radiation therapy? Radiation therapy is high-energy x-rays that actually kill cancer cells, and the wonderful thing about it is if we, if we have a tumor or a mass, we can actually shrink it within a number of weeks. 
Um, so it's high right energy radiation, like x-rays and stuff, yes. that are killing cancer cells. Yes. Targeted to that area. Extremely targeted. Over the years, we've gotten more and more targeted. Um, we have something now called intensity modulated radiation therapy, which is a fancy set of words, meaning that the machine will go around the person's part of the body that we're treating and the size of the area that we treat and the dose that we treat will be different as it moves around the person. Interesting. Now, tell me what it was like when you first started, Scott. You've been there since the beginning, 1988. What was radiation treatment like then? Because you you actually do the treatments. I mean, you've Correct. been in a situation where there you are, patients in a room, you help explain to them what's happening, work the machine, all that kind of stuff. What's the difference? What have you noticed in the last, dare I date you, like, <laughs> 37 years? Have I done my math right? No, maybe not. 20 27 years. <laughs> my brother's going to make fun of me because I always make fun of his math. All right. So tell me a little bit. In the last 27 years, what's changed? Well, I, th- I think the biggest thing is, you know, just the advancement of technology. I mean, back then, we, when Dr. Ladano uh, Chung was talking about how we can specifically treat a certain area, we used to actually have... Uh, I guess there were, we were call, it was called hand blocks where we would actually place the, the blocks in between the beam and the patient, whereas, uh, you know, to, to create the field that we want to treat. And so you'd really have to do some sort of a manual yeah, yeah, way so to target like the radiation. We put a template, you know, in between the machine, uh, uh, the beam, and the patient, and, you know, prior to, pla- you know, as far as pl- we'd plan it first, and then we get this template put the hand, we call it hand blocks, to block out the area that we could treat. Whereas, uh, you know, currently, that's, that specific area that we're treating that we need to block is done in the machine itself. So there's no more uh, manual hand blocks that we put in between the beam and the patient. So it's gotten more precise. Oh, yes. The machines have gotten better. Mm-hmm. Has it gotten stronger? It has not gotten stronger. Intentionally, it has not gotten stronger. Because that's not a good thing. Right. But we are able... On the other hand, we're able to go to higher doses. The reason radiation is so great is that it can shrink and kill cancer cells, but because we split them out and do them a little bit at a time, five five times a week, the normal cells can all recover from the radiation. So there are side effects, but almost all of them are temporary. So let's talk first about what types of tumors you can treat with radiation. I was looking at a list, and I thought almost, almost, almost all. every tumor mm-hmm. you could treat with Radiation and, and very often it's done in combination with chemotherapy, either simultaneously or sequentially in some combination so that you can really treat that particular cancer type. What are the most common types of cancer that you that you treat with radiation? The most common types are breast cancer and prostate cancer simply because those are the most common the types, most common of, types can- of cancer. cancer. Okay. But you're right, it it's almost all types of cancers that we treat. Some of the things that we don't treat are leukemia because it's throughout the, the blood system and we can't, it's not su- suggested or helpful to treat the whole body with radiation. Um, but the, the figures in 2015 are that two-thirds to three-quarters of all patients with cancer will have a course of radiation treatments at some point in their lifetimes. So that's quite a high number. And when we talk about a course of radiation, mm-hmm. Scott, how long are we talking? Is this like you know, three weeks, three months, I guess it depends on the situation. But on average, how often would a course of treatment be? Well, it'll, it'll vary from two weeks to eight weeks. Uh, normally, the um, the shorter 
uh, treatments are, we call it palliative or, um, you know. Just for, to try for, and help with symptoms. With, with pain and, okay. and bleeding. Okay. But the uh, the longer ones are curative, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about doing treatments, one of the questions I had somebody ask me once is, radiation is often done Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. What happens Saturday and Sunday? You get, you get a break. <laughs> I mean, does it um, medically make a difference? It it does. All the research has been based on five days a week. There is some research in England on six days a week, but almost all the research has been done on five days a week. Um, and over the years, we've I've found that the recovery time is kind of necessary for that. So we actually don't have information on seven days a week. I mean, not to suggest you have to work every weekend. You know, I was just – a patient asked me that once, and I went, boy, I don't I don't know if it would benefit you Saturday, Sunday. I don't know of anybody that does that. I mean, I know dialysis sometimes includes weekends for, for reasons that are important for the kidneys. Um, but would you ever go four days a week? Would that ever be a possible schedule for someone? Only if the, the person's having problems with side effects and uh, the physician, physician thinks that a day off would help. And, and I have done that in the past. One of the things I wanted to say about the five days a week is we'll often notice that after, for someone that's doing a longer course of radiation treatments, after the first few weeks when they get side effects, you can see them kind of building up towards Friday. And then after the weekend, it's kind of calmed down and they're ready for another week of treatment. Now, we've talked a little bit about side effects, but we really haven't mentioned what they are. Mm-hmm. What are the most common side effects? It really depends. It's like surgery in that it really depends on where we're treating. So let's pick an area. You said mm-hmm. breast and prostate, mm-hmm. two of the most common locations where you do radiation. Breast first. Begins with the B. What's the most? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to make men feel bad. We'll do prostate. Begins with the B. We'll go alphabetical. So breast cancer, you're doing radiation treatments. What are the most common side effects? Breast cancer, almost. I would say everyone that gets breast cancer treatment is going to have some pinkness or redness of the skin on the side of the breast that we're treating. Um, some will have an itch temporarily. Um, some will have some tenderness around the nipple area because that's where the most number of nerve endings are. And uh, I always stress that one out of five on average will feel tired from radiation to the breast, which means that four out of five will not feel tired. Um, but that is a possibility as well. Okay. So local changes to the area that's being radiated mm-hmm. and then also some possible other uh, symptoms like being very tired. Um, yeah. And it might be hard for some folks. I mean, the treatments take, on average, about how long? Like 10, 15 minutes? Yes. But that doesn't mean you have to, first you have to, if you're going to work or if you're working or even if you're not, get to this, get to the location, check in, wait your turn, mm-hmm. go to your treatments, come back. I mean, there's a whole travel, transport, yes. waiting at the at the waiting area. It's not like 10 minutes, okay, I'm going to go do this during my lunch hour. I'll be on time to be back at work at 1.30. I mean, this the variation in how long you need to take every day it, could also contribute to being so tired. It also, exactly. And it also depends on um, which which side effects the person's having, what, what kind of cancer we're treating. Some people just do do it during their lunch hour and they're able to go back to work. Other people who are having more symptoms like the prostate cancer that we'll talk about later where you have to go to the bathroom often, it might not be so easy to just you know come and go. 
Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk mm-hmm. about prostate cancer, radiation side effects, because that is one of the treatments that we often hear people are given an option for, yes. you know, medication treatment, also radiation treatment, and and even localized radiation with seed implants of radiation. So let's talk about basic radiation treatments in prostate cancer. You mentioned, you know, urinary frequency, having to go a lot. What are some of the other common side effects of prostate radiation? Uh, yeah, I always start with the more common ones. And every, every man who gets prostate radiation curative will have that urinary frequency. It is temporary, and it comes on about halfway through the course and gets worse before it gets better. The other thing they can have is uh, the sensation of pressure or kind of burning when they urinate, um, kind of like a urinary tract infection feels like. Um, again, But it's not an actual infection. But it's not an infection. Okay. And we do have medications to, to help with that. Um, occasionally, less often, but you can get some blood in your urine temporarily from the irritation. Uh, and you can get some rectal urgency also. So having to... Literally got to go number yeah, two. got to go, like got to go. Right. Okay. <laughs> Have to run for the bathroom kind of thing. Okay. Now, are these common, Scott? Do you hear people who come in, you're there, you're you're administering the radiation. Do you have folks who come in and mention these, these side effects? Is there anything different about what they tell you than what we mentioned already? No, actually... Uh, kind of the standard. Oh, no, it's, it's, yeah. It's pretty okay. much a consistent side effect. Uh, and most people areas. you notice get the side effects or or not that many? Uh, I would say most. most. Not everybody, though. Not everybody gets yeah, every side effect, right. but people are going to notice at least something. Yes, yes. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Scott Lopez. He is a radiation therapist at Kuakini Medical Center and also with Dr. Donna Chung. She's an oncologist specializing in radiation therapy. And we're talking today about radiation and how does this treat cancer and how is it effective and what are some of the side effects and why do we still use it and are we going to get better at this as time goes on? You can join us if you or someone you love has ever had radiation. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and see what your experience may have been. That's at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Chung, are there different types of radiation? Yes, there are. Uh, we've been talking about external beam radiation, which is the, I guess if you want to call it the standard radiation. There are also, there's also implant radiation where seed implants are done and uh, most commonly, that's done for prostate cancer. Uh, and another form called high-dose radiation, which is also external or internal, uh, but is a few short, few short treatments rather than every day, Monday through Friday. It can be anywhere from three to ten treatments. And so radiation itself doesn't always mean this external beam radiation. There's a variety of different options that people may be presented with should they have a cancer that requires this type of treatment. That's right. Why do I feel scared when I hear radiation? I mean, I just, you know, not as a <laughs> physician, but as, yes. as a hopefully never your patient person to say, boy, I mean, I just can't imagine that's got to be painful. That's got to be uncomfortable. And yet, yet you're telling me maybe not as much as I would fear. Well, well, two things. When uh, the fear of radiation is mostly people think of the atomic bomb or cancer is caused by radiation. Okay, now I'm thinking of the atomic bomb. <laughs> Thank you, Donna. I wasn't, and now I am. Thanks so much. And the, okay. <laughs> the bomb of radiation that I never the, want to have. But Thank that's you. a different kind of radiation. Okay. That's the kind. It's called low ionizing, but basically it's a, it's a low energy, and it spreads all over the place. And it lasts, you know, kind of for a long time and fades away. 
So those kinds of radiation, it's completely not what we use, but that can be damaging because that can change things, mutate things, cause cancers 20 years later. The kind of radiation that we do is completely different. It's it's a beam that goes straight through and kills right at the time. It doesn't linger for even a fraction of a second after it's delivered, uh, and so does not have that same tendency to cause cancers. So really, we're talking high intensity, very localized, specific to cause. Now, I mean, and this right. is just another question that I sometimes wonder about. So we are three-dimensional beings, and if you have a tumor that is sort of in the middle of a breast or a lung or, or a bone, how do you get the radiation to just go to the middle without going through the surface all the way to that area? That's an excellent question. We, oh, good, because I thought it was kind of silly <laughs> no, when I was trying to explain question. it. I'm like, how do you get in the middle? But maybe this is like one of those how could you not know things. We do, right. we do always have to go through the surface, but we will approach it from different directions so that the, can- the cancer or the tumor, I use those words the same, will get every bit of that radiation, but only certain parts of the normal body will get a small fraction of each area. Of each so you part. can really target it to right. the tumor. Right. And then the other areas you go through, not as affected. Right. We right. kind of flare it so that it's all, everyone focuses on the cancer, but to get there, we're spreading it out to different areas. I feel better. It wasn't a bad <laughs> question. All right. We've got a caller on the line. We've got Blake from Makiki. Blake, welcome to The Body Show. Yeah, I just had uh, targeted radiation for a uh, two and a half months, and um, I I do a lot of long distance swimming and uh, tennis, and um, I am experiencing a lot of fatigue. What type of? And I was wondering how long that works, or if that's common, or I don't. I'm not used to that. Where was your radiation? It was up at uh, the cancer center. I mean, it where on your body? Targeted radiation. I had the the gold beams. Okay. What part of your body, Blake? Um, near where the prostate was. Prostate. Okay. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Okay. So you had two and a half months targeted radiation to the prostate. You're an active guy. You love to go out swimming. You love to be outdoors. And yet you're tired. Yeah. How, how long, Blake, how long ago did you complete the radiation, roughly? Two weeks. Okay. So, yes, you're still in that period of time. It will get better. The tiredness absolutely will go away completely. Um, but really? it, yes, absolutely. But it'll it'll take some time. One question I wanted to ask is: Are you still waking up many times a night to urinate at this point? Oh, no. Okay, so it's not that. No, well, actually, what like for example, like on Sunday, I swam about oh a mile and three quarters, mm-hmm. and wow. I felt terrific. And then today, I played tennis, and I was exhausted. Well, your your body does a lot of work to recover from the radiation. You're producing new normal cells. And you're definitely in that recovery period. But you, you sound like a very active person. I think, too, because you do a lot, it's gonna, it, you're going to notice the tiredness more than someone who, like me, who doesn't do a lot of sports. So just give it some time. I would say drink a little more liquid than usual and have small protein snacks because that will help as well. How long how long be before I I would say a, one to two months. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. But getting better all the time, you won't feel like this is you're you're in the the strongest part of um, tiredness right now. It'll get better and better every couple weeks. Okay, well that's good to hear. 
Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for thanks for asking that question, Blake, because I'm sure you're not the only one out there who wants to know when does the fatigue go away. And it sounds like you're normal. Not yet, but it will. So that's that's good to know. All right. We've got Judy on the line from Kailua Kona. Judy, welcome to The Body Show. Hello. Hello there. What can we do for you today? Well, one of the side effects that I experienced was I developed a blood clot after my chemotherapy, not chemotherapy, but radiation for breast cancer, surgery and radiation for breast cancer. And both my oncologist and my surgeon said, yep, uh-huh, like, big deal. Like they, they assumed that it was normal. Where was your blood clot? I'm curious. Where on your body? Right. It was in your leg. Okay. Yep. And you received radiation treatments? Yes. Hmm. For five weeks and then one week targeted. Okay. And so is your question how common are these blood clots and, and is yes, it? Yes. Is that okay. what, I mean, you know, I would have, you know, I could have been put on blood centers or whatever. It's a know, good question. Yeah, I mean. The little bit I've had in the hospital for the surgery. It's a good question, but Judy. Why, I mean, and that was developed within six weeks of having, having my last radiation treatment. Now, the radiation was to the chest area. Yes. And the blood clot was in your leg. Yes. Okay. So my gut sense, Donna, I don't know mm-hmm. about you, is to think that radiation didn't cause the blood clot, but that maybe the underlying situation was more to be implicated there. But I, I could uh, be wrong, Dr. No, Chung. No, I would agree that that should not be related to the breast radiation that you had. Um, the breast radiation symptoms are, are just to your the breast area. So there may have been something else medically that was going on um, close to the time of your radiation. Well, a, definitely check with it, your... I know surgery can mm-hmm. always have that effect. Well, Judy, part of the trouble is that even having cancer can make you what we call hypercoagulable. It's a big, long word. Ah. But what it really means is that even having any type of a cancer can cause your blood cells to get a little stickier. And as a result, they tend to (laughs) clot together. And while you're in the process of trying to kill some of these cells, you know, you have to eliminate them somehow through the body. So they're going through this whole process of elimination. And and it's, it's not, I wouldn't say that it's extremely common that you develop clots every time you get a cancer. But I would also think that even doing the process of the treatment for the cancer, this wouldn't be unexpected, but I don't think it happens often enough to put people on blood thinners, which oven by themselves can be risky. Okay. Chemotherapy right. can often, yeah, yes, can I sometimes... I blood thinner now, and yeah. I have had, and I have been on it for six months. And so I have had uh, an ultrasound, in fact, today, the second one, to see whether, you know, what the, what the reaction of that was. And is it all gone? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Because I go to the doctor then, you know, get it read and go to the doctor later. Gotcha. Well, and part of the things that you'll know is you'll find out because if if your clot is gone and your tumor was related or your your blood clot was related to having cancer and your cancer is gone, then you can talk with your doctor about whether or not you still need to stay on blood thinners. Um, if there's any residual cancer or if there's any other risk factor, and they probably did some testing to find out if you had any of those, then you might be on blood thinners from this point onwards. But, you know, we don't give them out lightly because part of chemotherapy, it actually causes a reduction in some of the cells of your body. Blood clotting ones called platelets are included. So if we gave everybody a blood thinner, we'd really worry about 
people having hemorrhages or people having extra bleeding. So it's it's um I don't want to say it's a it's a common knowledge that you can get clots, but it's something that it's not really something we can prevent and good that you got it tested and checked out and they found out pretty quickly and got you on the right treatment and I hope you don't have another one. So that's that's pretty much all I can say. But Dr. Dr. Chung, you said I, probably not related to the radiation. Probably not related yeah. to the radiation, but, okay. but I would agree. I'm very glad you're on blood thinners now. Absolutely. Yeah. And, getting, and, you know, it's interesting. The blood thinners that we give for blood clots these days have changed. Mm-hmm. You know, the initial one used to be just warfarin or Coumadin. You have to take it. You have to be measured all the time, monitored, check your levels, and be really careful with your diet. And some of the newer blood thinners that are actually indicated for treatment of clots don't require any monitoring, which makes it a lot easier. And so although taking blood thinners is a big deal, there are ways that we can make it easier for folks now. Just like radiation has improved, medicine has improved, and we've gotten better at some of the some of the treatments for blood clots. So good to know. And hopefully, Judy, you'll be able to take advantage of the latest and greatest and what's going on and maybe not need any of that at all, which would be great. The, the other thing, it's my, I don't think this is so for Judy, but I just want to remind everyone who's had surgery that b- before surgery you're asked to be taken off your blood thinners, but it's always important after the surgery to ask your surgeon, okay, can I go back on it? Sure. When can I go back right. on it? And, it? and it depends on why you were put on it and right. a couple of other factors, but really good point. When, you know, when should I resume it? All right. We've got Mary from Palolo on the line. Mary, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Thanks for doing this topic. It's really interesting. I'm really grateful for radiation therapy and the many people I know that it's, I'm sure, made the difference. And more recently, some haven't had to have surgery after radiation. Fantastic. Um, But I also, I um, spent a lot of time professionally and personally as sort of a patient advocate working in gerontology and then just with numerous friends who've had cancer and family members. Mm -hmm. Um, I think these sort of side side effect risk factors, um, I thought it was interesting that the technician named it sort of more often than than the uh, radiologist did. Um, and I see it as so common and people being so grateful when they know that what they're going through is a predictable side effect and they seem maybe not to get that information all the time. You know, there does seem to be a building uh, fatigue over the course of radiation. You feel great the first couple of weeks, but then you do, most people do start getting tired and um, you know, these different effects. I just think it helps them through it better when um, maybe there's a little more talk on the front end of what those effects could be, but I'll, I also realize you don't want to have people give themselves those side effects. It's this catch-22, um, Mary, you're right, yeah. Yeah, so it's, I know it's kind of a foggy line, but I've just found that uh, people, you know, my clients in particular, older folks, they um, were really reassured to know uh, that was a predictable thing. That it's normal. Sure yeah, enough. and so um, I, I was kind of surprised by the statistics that you have, which I'm sure you know, are valid, um, that it's really that low percent of people who have those effects because I see it in almost everyone. Well, you're quite right, Mary. It really depends on the age. And when I, um, and I was kind of giving a general thing, but mm-hmm. when I when I talk to patients, I do I do change it depending on their age, their physical condition, because it really can make a difference. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Kosa, Kathy was right as well. Um, when sometimes in elderly patients, even the trip in and out alone can cause fatigue, much less radiation. Yeah. So yeah. in the elderly... Especially if they don't have their own car, they're trying to line up things. Right. 
But I've also found staff at like the radiation centers, mm-hmm. once you are in the rotation, mm-hmm. have been so great about being sure people's things work in their lives at a good time and um, that that all stays to make it as easy as possible to go through this that is many so, week ordeal. That is so, so good I'm to thankful hear. thankful to them too. Our therapists are very compassionate. Yeah, um, and very I, much. And that's so important. But, but yes, I would agree with you with the elderly um, and I would say, especially 80, 80 years old plus, those numbers would be quite different. I would say most of those patients would get tired. Okay. More like four out of five, in fact. There you go. Okay. Well, thank you for the really great work and keeping at it because it's um, getting better and more effective, and it's definitely better than surgery if you have it, the option to let that take care of your problem. Great. Well, thank you for yeah. joining us, Marion. Thanks for all the hard work that you do being an advocate and helping take care of folks that you know who have gone through this. You know, one of the other things that we really haven't addressed, and and that's a huge element of this, is the fact that people need the support of their family and their loved ones when undergoing any type of cancer treatment at all. Well, when we come back, we'll talk a little more about that. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Donna Chung. She's a radiation oncologist and also with Scott Lopez. He's a radiation therapist, been there at the center at Kuakini since the beginning. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's been happening with radiation treatments and how has that changed in the course of the last, as he reminded me, 27 years. Not 37. There goes my lumosity math. Um, But when we come back, we're going to talk a little more about that. And you can join us, too, at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Take a pause during Morning Edition each weekday morning for a walk through a Hawaiian forest. Listen for the call of the palila bird and smell the scent of sandalwood and watch out for that invasive fountain grass. I'm Christopher Phillips, host of HBR's new series, Mahalo Aina, and I'll serve as your guide, pointing out the many benefits provided by our island's forests and the work being done to protect and preserve these diverse ecosystems. Weekday mornings at 8.18 on HPR One. Advanced placement classes offer college credits to high school students if they do well enough on their AP exam. If you're just plopping these kids into AP courses... They're not going to do well, and you may have to water it down so much that it's not going to really be considered a college-level course. I'm Kai Rizdahl. Question is, how do you get those kids ready? That's next time on Marketplace from APN. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Donna Chung. She is an oncologist specializing in radiation and radiation therapist Scott Lopez. He is there at Kuakini Medical Center, and we're talking about radiation treatments. What is it, and how does it work, and why do people do it, and how effective can it be? Now, we just heard from Mary from Palolo who said, you know, most people that she helps, and they tend to be a little older, have a lot of side effects of radiation, but it actually helped one of her friends who was able to avoid surgery. Now, we talked a little bit about how radiation can shrink tumors and shrink cancers. Now, we're using those two words interchangeably, tumor mm-hmm. and cancer, although, you know, to us, they're going to be synonyms today. Um, tell me, Dr. Donna, does that, have you seen that happen? Have people come in with a tumor and you just shrunk it and then it was gone by the time they were finished their treatments? Yes, yes. Often? Um, well, it, it depends. We, we can treat with radiation different situations, but one of the things that we can treat uh, is skin cancer. 
uh, certain types of skin cancer like squamous cell cancers. And occasionally people will have a large, chunky one. And you can literally, since it's on the skin surface, you can literally watch it shrink and disappear. They can watch it themselves. Exactly. Now, it seems kind of interesting, though. Now, you know, UVA, UVB, mm-hmm. sun damage, we call it radiation exposure. That's right. That causes skin cancer. And yet, you're telling me radiation exposure is going to cure it. But your special radiation, not sunlight. So what's the difference? Right. Well, the, it, it's the same type. Of, again, it's that low ionizing radiation. That's the that sunlight. Causes the, yeah, that okay. causes the damage because it's little bits over time. And it spreads everywhere. Right. And they don't kill the cells. They're just damaging the cells. Interesting. So because it's low intensity, you just kind of mess with the cells. Right. Then they get weird. And, they and then they become on. cancerous. Exactly. They go on to live and they become abnormal and multiply abnormally. And so then if you give high intensity radiation... Mm-hmm. You don't just make the cells weird, you end them. They don't survive, right? They're gone. And and the way radiation works is it actually will injure normal cells. But normal cells can recover and replace themselves. But the cancer cells have abnormal DNA and cannot handle that many repeated radiation treatments. What about cancer cells that grow and grow and grow and grow and never stop? Even those type can't handle the radiation exposure over successive treatments so they just don't recover, they're gone? Yes. The The reason we're not 100% is that there may be other cancer cells that we're missing outside of the area that are that we haven't identified with CAT scans or MRI scans. Sure. And I mean, sometimes, sometimes people don't realize CAT scans and MRIs only pick up things to a certain level of detection. Mm-hmm. It's like if you look on the floor, do you see the little fuzz? Probably not. But if you were laying on the floor, you might. So you know, there's a certain limit to which our technology can identify these cancer cells. And, you know, when cells spread, one or two go run off somewhere and establish a new colony of bad cancer cells, that may not be detectable on a CAT scan or an MRI, but still could be what's going on in their body. That's right. And, but That's I where chemotherapy sometimes comes into play to complement radiation. Exactly. And, there, and certain chemotherapies make the radiation work better, and the radiation can also enhance the chemotherapy. Kind of synergistically. Exactly. All right. Scott, tell me what it would be like. God forbid I ever have to go and get radiation treatment, and I'm really not hoping that's ever going to happen. Um, but if I were to do that, what's the experience like? You know, for somebody who's coming in to get radiation treatment of anywhere, really, let's just pick a cancer we haven't picked on yet. Let's pick lung cancer because we will. And so if if someone were coming in getting treated, what is that process? What is what is that whole walk me through it as if I've never done it because I haven't and yet I want to know exactly what to expect. Okay, well, initially you would meet with the doctor, uh well, the referring doctor and, and the radiation oncologist and they get a certain series of treatments. Yeah, okay. and, and once that's agreed upon that radiation is part of this the treatment, then uh we we start off by um we call it a simulation, or we plan out how we'll be actually treating the area of interest. So we use a diagnostic CT scanner, but it's a, we, we, we tell the patients we use it for radiation planning, basically. It's, the protocols are different as far as how, you know the, the type of contrast that we use or uh, the area that we scan. We usually scan a, a wider range uh, just to gather a little more data in case uh, there's areas that we're not... Uh, 
we, we're just not sure about. So Sure. So you might get an extra scan to help plan the radiation. Correct. And then what would happen? And that, that data that we gather from the uh, CT, uh, we send it to our treatment planning computer. And there, uh, normally the CT scans are in a 2D type of mode. Well, our treatment planning computer can render that into a 3D type of mode. Then um, what we do is uh, we'll outline the areas of interest, and we'll call the doctor, the radiologist, the radiation oncologist in. And there, there we'll sit down with them, and we'll plan out the area that we're going to be treating, actually setting the field and, and the areas that we don't need to treat. We, we call it a, a multi-leaf collimation block. Type of thing. We're blocking out the area that we don't need to treat. So that's all done virtually. Plan. Okay. Yes. And then you you have all this, and then somebody they they get their radiation treatment plan, and you divide the number of. Do you go by how much total radiation you need, and then divide that to figure out the number of treatments? We we do both total dose and daily dose. Okay, so you figure out how often you have to go. Five days a week, maybe. And how much you get per day. And how much you get each day. Mm -hmm. And then that tells you how long Mm -hmm. of a treatment you need. Some people might be three weeks, others four weeks. You know, we heard earlier from Blake who had like two and a half months. Mm -hmm. So it depends really on what your treatment dose is going to be, how that's partitioned out. Yes. Okay. And so then you show up every day, five days a week for however long that is. And Mm -hmm. Normally a, a long type of treatment's 20 minutes a day. You know, and that's not actual radiation time. It's, like you said, getting in, checking in, you know, getting changed, getting on the table, getting positioned, you know, then treatment, and then you're done kind of thing, about 20 minutes a day or so. So that whole process can be done during lunchtime for some people if it needs to be. And Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. And so then you'll see them for, you know, X number of weeks, and then they'll be done. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound as scary as I was, as I thought. (laughs) Like five weeks, usually? Yeah, anywhere from five, I guess, six weeks. Um, But but the other thing is that um, it's scarier looking than it is um, because the equipment is so high-tech. It's large. It's rotating all around the room. So it's kind of scary looking. But what what I tell people is the person will be lying down on a flat table and they might have their arm out to above their head or to the side so it's out of the way. Um, but you, they won't feel anything during the treatment. They basically watch the machine move. They can hear it go on, hear it go off, but there's no feeling, no sensation, no pain at all. So that's the, the easy part of the radiation. So now I imagine they're in the room by themselves because mm-hmm. someone like you, Scott, mm-hmm. would not want to be in the room having all this radiation exposure yourself. Like from the logistics standpoint, can you like, Bring your iPod? Can you listen to music? Is it going to, like, do something weird to your radiation treatment? We actually have music in the treatment room. So you actually can have music mm-hmm. that's there, so yes. take your mind off of it mm-hmm. and not feel so scared mm-hmm. about all the big machines and stuff. And and they could... I sound like a wimp, i got to <laughs> tell you, you know. <laughs> no, but, and they can actually speak to the therapist because they're at, at, our, at our center. There's at least three par- therapists outside there. And there's a microphone, so if they ever want to say, oh, yeah. I need to move for a second, they can yeah. tell So the we therapist. have a camera and inter- intercom system, and that's how they're monitoring when they're actually getting their radiation treatments. And we have a big monitor outside of the control panel, and that's how we uh, monitor them. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Donna Chung and Scott Lopez. They are working in radiation, and we're talking about cancer and radiation treatments If you've got a question about radiation or something you always wanted to know, 
Now is your chance to ask an expert just for the next few moments of the show at 941-3689. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, what are some, make me feel better, Donna. (laughs) What are some of the common questions people have when talking about radiation that I haven't already asked showing my ignorance? What are some of the things people are worried about that maybe surprise you or that you can reassure them about? Okay, I'm going to do it, Scott. They're going to say, uh, am I going to lose my hair? And the answer is, unless we're treating your brain for brain tumor, no, you will not lose your hair. So radiation, no hair loss. Right. Okay. They're not going to feel sick to their stomach or nauseous unless we're treating a stomach cancer or or something in that location. Okay. So So you can still eat? Yes. Yes. Okay. Do you have to be fasting to do it? You don't have to be fasting. Sometimes sometimes we'll ask someone, especially for prostate cancer, to come with a full bladder, to, uh, and that's to help with side effects, to cause less side effects. Okay. Um, but I always say, for the most part, all, all normal lifestyle, normal medications, in general, normal diet, pretty much life goes on as usual, unlike with um, surgery. Sure, or chemotherapy, mm-hmm. certain times you might lose hair, you might have other side effects, right. but not all chemo, but certainly radiation, that is not the case. Right. All right. We've got Joe on the line from Honolulu. Joe, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Uh, my question is, uh, how do you know when you're giving the radiation if you've given the right amount? Uh, how do you know you haven't given too much or too little? Good question. Scott? Well, um, we have a, before we even turn the beam on, we have a physicist that does a, a, a pretty intense uh, quality assurance type of thing where they they would, what, whatever is planned as far as the uh, administration of the radiation is uh, is measured uh, on the machine itself. And, you know, we have a, a bunch of uh, specific parameters that need to be, um, you know, exactly on before actually we can actually even beam on. So from what you're saying, Scott, the machine's really accurate. So whatever's prescribed, that's what you'll get. Donna, how do you prescribe it? How do you know how much radiation someone needs for different types of tumors? Basically through evidence-based medicine or literature, we know the doses that are needed for each type of cancer, and they're different for different types of cancer. So there's like a chart out there that like yes, is in basically. your head, and, and you have a list for this type of cancer – is it based on size, too? It's based on type more than size. And okay. whether we're treating it for cure or treating it al- along with chemotherapy. So there's a whole um, algorithm right, that tells before you. Before surgery, after surgery, all those factors right. go into so it. So that's how you know how much. And then once you tell Scott how much, mm-hmm. they've got the machine that will do it and quality control, and it, it gives the right dose. Right. there, And there are many different levels of staff that it needs to pass. Um, besides a physicist, there's something called a dosimetrist and also uh, the radiation therapist. So they're all checking each other. In addition to that, as Scott mentioned, if the right parameters aren't put in exactly as they're supposed to, the machine won't even turn on. So, so if compete, you don't get it right, right it doesn't it's not happen. happening. All right, Joe, does that help you a little bit? Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm curious. You know, it was a great question, Joe, because, I mean, I always wondered, how do you know how much radiation you give for different things? And and I guess there's a chart. I mean, who would have thought? <laughs> a bit, of course there's a chart. And so I'm surprised, though. It doesn't 
vary based on size of tumor. Is that because you decide based on the type of tumor and the expectation is that the bigger it is, the more of it you'll kill with your radiation and shrink it? Yes and no. Really, the size is the size tells us how tight or large of an area to treat. So if it's smaller, we're going to treat in a smaller area. Okay. But the dose is determined by the cancer. What dose is needed to kill that type of cancer cell? See, and I lost you, Scott, when you said physics. (laughs) because that was one of my most difficult classes, which I got really good at because I was so good at memorizing. But, you know, that whole conceptual part of it, uh, yeah, that's that's a challenge of mine. But I I think I'm getting it better, Donna. You're explaining it. So so the size of the beam matches the size of the tumor. The dose of the radiation is based on this... this What we need to kill that type of cancer cell. Exactly. So you know how much you've got to do to just just kill that cell, get rid of it. For example, lymphomas are very responsive to radiation and to chemotherapy. So the doses we need to use are much less than a lung cancer. Ah, because lung cancer evades. Mm -hmm. It sneaks away. It's resistant. Resistant. Mm -hmm. So people can be resistant to radiation. Um, certain cells can be resistant. Maybe not people, but... That's true. People are not resistant. (laughs) The normal people are not resistant, but those nasty cancer cells could be. Thank you for for pointing that out. Now people know why physics was my difficult class, but okay. So there are certain cancers that can't be treated with radiation, Mm -hmm. or if you are in the midst of a radiation course, you would do testing, CAT scans, or something else to determine if that's been effective. Right. Okay. Now, the, the other thing is that would probably help to sort of picture it is the way we do the treatments is we, we actually can get CAT scans, MRI scans, any kind of scans, and merge them with the scans that we take at the time of the planning. Are you talking, talking physics and merging again? Um, no, I'm talking CAT <laughs> scans and merging. All right, so three-dimensional <laughs> stuff. You're but, hitting my weak spots, apparently you, like math. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. But you know the, right. computer, the computer mouse, right? So, so the doctor will basically outline the tumor with the mouse, and then, then that's when we start designing the area of treatment. So it really has become super high-tech. Very. I mean, what, what we accurate. used to think it was, it's really changed. It's become more accurate, more high-tech. Where's it going? Where do you see radiation treatment going in the next five years? That's interesting. I actually see chemotherapy changing more. Radiation has been on the same continuum continuum of being more and more accurate. And I think the, you know, the 3D, 4D things, the computerization of everything has really pushed it forward. But with chemotherapy and immunotherapy, that's changing even faster, I would say. All right. Well, now we know what we need to talk about next. (laughs) I want to thank both of you for being on the show today and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. We'll have to do it again sometime soon. Sounds good. uh, And talk a little bit more about how all this is changing and and how this is integrating better with our current treatments to help us to hopefully someday cure cancer. That would just be awesome. All right. Dr. Donna Chung is currently an oncologist specializing in radiation therapy at Kuakini Medical Center. Scott Lopez is one of the therapists at Kuakini Medical Center. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer, David Chong, executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show.